Hello, and welcome back to Cinema Sunday. I am your host, Candy Thomas. And each week, I'm going to watch one of the 94 movies that have won an Oscar for Best Picture and tell you exactly what I think of them. I'm going to follow the same template every week. It's the basic details of the movie, things like who's in it and what's it about. And I'll answer three important questions. One, does it stand the test of time? Two, is it Oscar worthy? Three, should you watch it or is your time better spent looking for that one sock that disappeared in the dryer? Just as a friendly warning, along with my honest assessment of these movies, you'll also get my hot takes on many current events. I like to mix it with a heaping dose of adult language, so please be sure you listen with caution. Around here, it's all about fussing and cussing, so if that isn't your thing, I suggest you move along. Before we begin, I'd like to thank Wikipedia and IMDb, as they are great sources of information for all things movie and Oscar-related. And with that, let's take it away. This week's Oscar-winning film is Terms of Endearment. It was released November 23rd, 1983. It is directed by James L. Brooks. It stars Shirley MacLaine, Deborah Winger, Jack Nicholson, Jeff Daniels, and John Lithgow. It was nominated for a total of 11 Oscars, and it won five. It won for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Adapted Screenplay. If you want to watch it, it can be found on HBO Max or Spectrum if you have subscriptions, or you pay $3.99 to watch it on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Vudu, or Redbox. So what is it about? The story covers 30 years in the relationship between Aurora Greenway, played by Shirley MacLaine, and her daughter, Emma, who's played by Deborah Winger. Aurora is widowed when Emma is still a young girl. We see how she immediately becomes even more of a helicopter mom, having a real controlling presence over her daughter. They live in a wealthy area of Houston, and Aurora, financially comfortable enough to spend the bulk of her day tending her flower garden, is the epitome of conservative, and dare I even say somewhat prudish, or maybe judgmental is the word I'm looking for, but she is obviously pretty high-strung and wants Emma to look dress, and behave in a very specific manner. As Emma grows up, she becomes increasingly put out by her mother. It's clear she's rebelling in every way possible, which makes Aurora more stubborn and controlling, which in turn makes Emma even more of a rebellious shithead. It's a vicious circle. There's a point, maybe right around the time Emma is in high school, where they get a new neighbor. The man is named Garrett Breedlove, played by Jack Nicholson, and we'll talk more about him in a minute. Anxious to get away from her crazy mother, Emma plans to marry Flap Horton, who's played by Jeff Daniels. Flap isn't even close to meeting Aurora's expectations. He's not a terribly ambitious man. I mean, he's a college professor, which is fine, but he can't come close to providing the type of comfortable lifestyle Emma was accustomed to, and frankly, doesn't seem to be all that concerned about doing anything to improve his standing in life. Flap is the perfect example of a guy who's 100% comfortable with absolute mediocrity. 
even though Aurora is against the marriage, she can't manage to successfully put a wedge between he and Emma. Every time she tries, Emma just falls more in love with him. It's not long after their wedding that Emma is expecting their first child. Aurora, who might be maybe 45 at this point, does not take the news of being a grandparent well at all. As for Aurora's love life, well, it's non-existent. Being a wealthy, attractive widow, she does have many suitors, but none of them can seem to wiggle their way in with any success. I wasn't kidding when I called her prudish. Her style is very buttoned up. She gets offended very easily and doesn't seem to have the flirting gene. It seems that she wants a sweeping romance, which moves very slow, and she doesn't in any way, shape, or form accept anything that makes her feel sexualized or uncomfortable or outside of her very strict boundaries. This is why she remains celibate for well over a decade. She pushes away anyone trying to move the relationship forward. Shortly after the birth of Emma's first child, and with the second one on the way, Flap gets offered a job in Des Moines, Iowa. This will be the first time Emma hasn't lived with or near her mom. It's a very big transition for both of them. Although they're a thousand miles apart, the two talk on the phone every day, much to Flap's dismay. Aurora starts to feel lonely. Her house is big and quiet, and she's challenged by the solitude. So enter that handsome neighbor I mentioned earlier. Garrett Breedlove is a former astronaut and quite the ladies' man. This character is perfect for Nicholson, who has a knack for playing cocky, flirty, arrogant troublemakers. Aurora watches him for years. The parties, the young women, the basic debauchery, which is the complete opposite of how she lives her life. Yet she can't help but be curious about what it's like to be in his orbit. (laughs) Okay, that was totally not intentional. I made an astronaut pun. Look at me. I'm so clever. The two officially meet each other after spending several years being neighbors from afar. He seems intrigued about perhaps spending some time with a woman his own age. And she recognizes that she could perhaps benefit from letting her hair down just a tiny bit. They agree to have lunch together, and it turns out to be one of the most eventful first dates in movie history. There's a cause and effect of being around Aurora. The more stuck up and judgmental she is, the more the other person cranks up the rebellion and goes out of their way to misbehave just to make her more uptight. It's brilliantly done, and you can't help but watch them and think, my God, they have the best chemistry. And then five minutes later thinking, oh my God, they're going to kill each other. We transition back to Emma's story. She's now pregnant with their third child and life isn't going well. Emma and Flap continue to struggle and she must ask her mother for money. Aurora is beside herself to hear that Emma is pregnant again and encourages her to have an abortion. The only thing Aurora hates more than Flap is to part with money. In her heart, she just knows that it's getting too late for Emma to overcome this bad marriage. And she proves she's willing to drop truth bombs on her daughter when she says, how is your life ever going to get better if you keep having children with that man? What miracle is going to come along to rescue you? She's right. Flap makes a habit of staying out all night, then gaslights Emma, blaming the pregnancy for her being so paranoid. After the birth of their third child, things continue to get worse. They fight all the time, which is hard on their children. The boys are old enough to understand what's going on, and it's taking a toll on them. 
They continue to have very little money. In fact, we see Emma at the grocery store without enough cash to pay for her items. A nice man named Sam Burns, who's played by John Lithgow, steps forward and offers to help her pay. Emma and Sam strike up a friendship that quickly turns into an affair. Sam is married as well, but he and his wife no longer have sex. And Emma is lonely and miserable, and I'm sure part of her is just trying to get even with Flap. The two of them actually become quite close. I don't think it's ever just about sex. I think they both find each other at a time when they desperately need warm and caring companionship. It's about this time that Aurora decides to take the plunge with Garrett, and they begin a whirlwind romance. They seem quite compatible. I actually like the maturity of their relationship. Neither of them enters it with any serious expectations. They enjoy their time together, but are still respectful enough to give each other space. We start to see Garrett becoming a good guy, and we start to see Aurora accepting others for who they are rather than trying to fit them into the mold of what she wants them to be. They're a good pairing. They both seem to be spending time together for the right reasons. At one point, Emma shows up unexpected on campus and finds Flap flirting with a pretty graduate student. She finally decides she's had enough. She takes the kids and heads home to Houston. Of course, Aurora is delighted to have her grandkids visiting her, but it's only a few days later that Flap calls. He has accepted a job in Kearney, Nebraska, and Emma has no choice but to return to him so they can start a new life at a new college. Of course, she's devastated. Not only has she personally grown very fond of Sam, but her kids like their school and their friends, and here Flap just made the decision without even discussing it with her. The commotion of Aurora having a house full of family causes Garrett to start pulling away. It appears the reality of it all makes him feel uncomfortable. He breaks off his relationship with Aurora, which is really heartbreaking. But let me say, I I think they both handle this conversation with a good deal of maturity. There's no anger or yelling. It's just two people going their separate ways. For now, anyway. Shortly after arriving in Nebraska, Emma discovers that Flap took that job because the grad student from Iowa is there as well. That shit heap basically packed up his entire family and followed the woman he was having an affair with. Of all the dickhead moves, this one's particularly cold. Before Emma has a chance to confront Flap on his infidelity, her doctor finds a concerning lump in her armpit during a routine visit. Sadly, it's cancer. She does some initial treatments, but it becomes terminal. Aurora immediately heads to Nebraska and she and Flap are at Emma's side through all the treatments and the eventual downturn. We see Aurora trying to come to terms with what life will be like without Emma. Flap, for once in his life, shows some humanity and consideration for his wife, shame she had to die to get him to pay attention to her. After one particularly difficult night at the hospital, where Aurora loses her absolute shit with the nursing staff, which is probably the scene that won Shirley MacLaine the Oscar, by the way, She arrives back to the Holiday Inn in Kearney, Nebraska, and who happens to be there but Garrett. The dude who acted as if family drama wasn't his thing suddenly shows up when Aurora needs him the most. She says to him, well, who would have expected you to be a nice guy? It really is a very touching moment. As Emma's health continues to decline, it becomes necessary to make some difficult decisions regarding her children. She has a lifelong best friend named Patsy, who is a successful businesswoman in New York. 
But Emma believes Patsy in her heart really only wants to raise their daughter, Melanie, and Emma refuses to have her kids split up. There's this great scene in the hospital cafeteria where Aurora and Flap discuss the custody. And Aurora, God bless her, she's nothing if she's not honest, but she essentially tells Flap he's just simply not up to it. And I'm paraphrasing here, but she's basically like, your only good quality is that you have always been able to admit that you're mediocre. (laughs) Why would you try to change that now, buddy? And she's right. You know, Flap puts up a little bit of a fight, but deep down, he knows his limitations. And raising three kids on his own is just not in the cards for him. Flap and Emma have a very touching goodbye scene, which is about the only time in the entire movie where you see Flap being honest and apologetic for the things he's done. He knows he's never really done right by her. And now, of course, it's too late. They discuss the best situation for their kids, and it's decided that Aurora will raise the children at her home in Houston. Next, of course, we have the horrible moment when Emma has to say goodbye to her children. Be ready because it's a total cry fest. But it's important that she has this closure. She has spent every day of their lives with them, and they'll experience a great deal of emptiness without her. The oldest one is being shitty, pretending he's mad because he can't come to terms with his sorrow. But the younger one is a weeping puddle of goo. I'm telling you, have the Kleenex ready. Not long after, Emma passes away with Aurora and Flap by her bedside. As it usually is with cancer, you hope you'll feel relieved when your loved one is no longer suffering, but it's still a very devastating blow for both of them at the end. It ends with all of them together after the funeral back at Aurora's house, and we get a glimpse of how they will go on from this point forward. It's a really effective way to wrap it all up. Question one, does terms of endearment stand the test of time? Yes. In fact, I think it gets better as I get older. I relate to it more. It's so, so, so well-written and with an incredible amount of truth. (laughs) It absolutely captures the good and the bad and the funny and the sad. It demonstrates real honesty in these family relationships. I think the script is so accurate. It's just, it's perfect. There's a scene that takes place right after that grocery store scene I mentioned earlier, the one where Sam rescues Emma by giving her money to pay for her groceries. A few minutes later, they're all out in the parking lot, and Emma is taking a moment to say thank you and goodbye to Sam, and her oldest boy, Tommy, who's always been a little bit of a pill anyway, is like, come on, mom, let's go. And this becomes such a real-life mom moment. Emma turns to him and says, Tommy, why don't you take your brother and go wait for me in the car? And Tommy's, of course, saying, but mom, come on, let's go. And she says, Tommy, go wait in the car. A little firmer this time. But Tommy is still saying, Mom, Mom, let's go. And Emma's like, Tommy, go to the car. And as he continues to hesitate, she yells, Go to the car. Go to the car. Now, now, now. And it's funny because the whole scene takes about 30 seconds. But we watch her have this totally real mom moment where her kid causes her to absolutely lose her shit. And I'll bet that at some time or another, this type of thing has happened to every single mom out there. And it's so damn realistic. One element that's never really changed in the last 50 years of filmmaking is the appearance of the cocky, drunken, womanizing character. There's a guy like this in practically every movie made in the 80s. And probably because we can all agree, there are guys like this in real life. But in this case, I have to credit these filmmakers because they actually let us see 
Garrett be more than that. He may have started out that way, but he evolves into a real grown-up man as the movie goes on, but without losing that cool kid bravado that we're all going to think is a little bit sexy. I didn't mention it earlier, but there's a scene where Aurora goes to Garrett's house for dinner, which is our first glimpse into his world. What we see is his home that is essentially a full-blown museum dedicated to himself and his storied career with NASA. And Aurora can't help but assume it's meant to be a trap to get women into the sack. And and she says that. She's kind of nasty about it. She's like, oh, this is so embarrassing. And it's refreshing to have him stand up for himself. Because on the surface, we all sort of saw it the same way that Aurora sees it. Because up until this point in the movie, we've only seen him being a skirt-chasing cad. But in this moment, he asks her, why shouldn't I have this stuff? I'm proud of what I've done. And he goes on to say, there's 107 astronauts in the fucking world, and I'm one of them. I deserve this. And he actually storms out on her. And it's perfect. In that moment, we all get to see that he's so much deeper and a better person than we'd been giving him credit for. This is one movie that really blows apart that notion of a good-for-nothing Lothario. And I appreciate this character so much more now than I did 20 years ago. Question two. Is it Oscar-worthy? I definitely think it's worthy. It's well-written, it's brilliantly acted, it's sincere, it's funny, it's incredibly heartbreaking. And in any other year, I would say without a doubt, it would have been a hands-down favorite. However, this particular year, the other nominees were The Right Stuff, Tender Mercies, The Dresser, and The Big Chill. If I'm an Academy voter in 1983, I'm thinking, oh, holy shit. Although Terms of Endearment is a very complete film from beginning to end with one of the more just genuine scripts out there, I, I, I would have leaned into that choice, but I likely would have spent the rest of my life questioning if I should have voted for The Big Chill. Now that is a great freaking movie. And talk about standing the test of time. It's 40 years later and I still listen to The Big Chill soundtrack. I would probably rate it in the top 10 best soundtracks, it's really that good. And just like I said with Forrest Gump, the music matches the moments in the movie. It helps tell the story and it's perfect. It's also worth mentioning that The Right Stuff and Tender Mercies are both great movies too. So this was arguably a really tough year. Also a quick call out to Silkwood, which was also worthy, but didn't make the cut. Shirley MacLaine and Jack Nicholson both won Oscars for their acting performances. I can't explain the unique perfection that is their character's relationship, and you'd really have to see it to understand what I'm talking about, but they seem so opposite, and yet they fit together so comfortably. Shirley MacLaine was asked what it was like working with Nicholson, and she said this, and this is, this is exactly coming from Wikipedia. She said, We're like old smoothies working together. You know, the old smoothies they used to show whenever you went to the ice follies. They would have this elderly man and woman who at that time were like 40, and they had a little bit too much weight around their waist, and they were moving a little slower. But they danced so elegantly and so in sync with each other that the audience just laid back and sort of sighed. That's the way it was working with Jack. We both know what the other is going to do next. And we don't, we don't socialize or anything. It's just amazing chemistry. It's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. 
And there is no better way to sum it up. It, the chemistry is absolutely perfect. Deborah Winger was also nominated for Best Actress, but this was clearly McLean's year. I think it had been a long time coming. The character of Emma is just so unique and so genuine and, and quite heartbreaking. And Winger nails it. She really, really does. But like I said, I think it was just McLean's year. I do want to take a minute and recognize Jeff Daniels and his portrayal of Flap. For starters, this is a very young, thin, and really attractive Jeff Daniels. And so you can sort of understand why Emma puts up with so much of Flap's BS. I, I can see it, to be honest. I know at his core, he's an asshole, but he gets away with far more than he should be because he's just so super cute. The only woman not wooed by him is Aurora. She knows his game the minute he comes onto the scene and is willing to call him out, where Emma is just too starry-eyed to see it. This is perhaps the only character in the entire movie who doesn't have a real redemption arc. There's maybe a little bit of self-awareness at the end, but you never, ever root for him. He's always the disappointment. Jeff Daniels really took one for the team here. If I were him, I would have read the script and thought like, well, why the hell does my guy have to be the biggest asshole? And mind you, every single character in this movie is far from perfect. They're all flawed. In fact, each of them has at least one scene where the audience sees an unfavorable or unlikable side of them, but they all get to rebound and poor Flap just never gets his moment to shine. Question three, should you watch it? Absolutely. If you haven't ever seen it, please watch it with a box of Kleenex. This is an unapologetic tearjerker, a bona fide weeper, but it's funny and real and meaningful. And like I said, it gets better the older I get. I am pretty much at the same age now that Aurora and Garrett are in the movie. And now I get it. I very clearly understand their crazy, twisted, perfect little romance. And I can't tell you how much more I enjoyed this movie this time around. No surprise, this movie contains one of my all-time top five scenes that always make me cry. It's not any of the ones I've mentioned so far. I won't give it away. And it's not one you'd expect to be traditionally sad. I just really find it moving and it gets me every time. For those of you who are asking, what are your top five cry scenes, Candy? I'll quickly tell you my top two. So my number two is the opening sequence in the Pixar movie, Up, about the old man with the house and the balloons. If the first 10 minutes of that movie doesn't totally wreck you, you are not human. And frankly, I'm quite worried about you. My top tearjerker scene, and this isn't even a sad movie, so this is kind of embarrassing, but it's in Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks. Now that's a true story. And the astronauts are stuck in space due to a broken ship. And it looks like they might die out there if they can't land safely. So Jim Lovell's wife and his two daughters go to the nursing home where his mother resides to tell her what's going on. And grandma's got a little bit of dementia happening. So you're not quite sure how much she's understanding the situation. But then she turns to the youngest daughter, who's sobbing, and grandma says, are, are you scared? Jesus, I can't even tell the story without crying. She says, are you scared? And the little girl says, yeah. And grandma says, well, don't you worry, honey. If they could make a washing machine fly, my Jimmy can land it. It's devastating. <laughs> okay, that's a wrap. 
Thank you for listening. This has been episode 15 of Cinema Sunday. I'll be back next week to discuss another Oscar-winning film. Please tell your friends about this podcast. It's really helpful if you like and follow the show, or even post a review. That is the best way to help Cinema Sunday reach a wider audience. If you have a comment, maybe I got some facts wrong, or you just want to tell me I have shit taste, you can email cinemasunday at yahoo.com. The music for Cinema Sunday is appropriately titled So Happy. It is by Scott Holmes Music. I got it off of freemusicarchives.org. And the work is licensed under Creative Commons by NC 4.0. Links are provided in the bio. And if you happen to visit the Free Music Archive, they do take donations. So please be generous. Thanks and see you next week.